hello and welcome to this month's episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I am your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with comedian, musician and satirist, Mr. Steve Gribbin. So, hey, Steve, it's great to have you on the show today. Thank you very much, Paula. It's great to be here. Um, um, thank you for asking me. Um, so, OK, so <laughs> let, let's start at the beginning. Let's go back in time a little bit. What were you like as a kid? Were you one of these kind of class clowns? Or were you quite quiet and sort of, you know, tried to blend in the background? Um, I was the class clown. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was the eldest uh, child. And um, my my mother, had, um, uh, you know, she had um, four sons. But, she, um, you know, she wanted daughters. And uh, I, I was spoiled as a kid. I think and I got a lot of attention. And um, my mum and dad used to pick me up when they come back from the pub and get me to perform little songs and impressions. <laughs> Like that. I used to put on little shows. So when I, when I was at school, I, I got heavily into, um, there was a woman called Miss Burroughs who, who had the drama department. And me and two of my friends used to get up and do little comedy sketches. Just put, when I was about 11 or 12, 13 maybe. And um, we basically, looking back now, it was funny. We used to just do the latest Monty Python sketch. You know, yeah, yeah. Where, where we, we didn't write our own stuff. We used to just copy what we'd seen on the television. Um, but yeah, yeah, I was a bit of a, I, I was definitely a show off. Yeah, that was the thing. I, I suppose back in the day, you know, even when I was a kid, you'd be you'd be watching stuff on TV the night before, and you'd be coming back into yeah. school going, "Did you see? Did you see Python last night? Or did you see the Young Ones last night? Or whatever?" Yeah. And you, you, you know, it would be the shared experience of. You know, through comedy. Yeah. We used to like Monty Python because um, it was the first time it was a break between us and our parents' taste, you know. Yeah. Neither of them or dad liked it. They hated it, in fact. And so that made it much better. As, you know, I should imagine the young ones were very similar in a generational divide. You know, my dad would be sitting there going, what's so funny about this? <laughs> <laughs> There's a giant foot coming down and cutting <laughs> I learned to appreciate the Monty Python. I, I learned to appreciate um, Terry Gilliam much yes. more than that. So when I was a kid, I was very impatient. I thought, oh, my God, these bloody cartoon intervals over. But now I think they're absolutely genius, those bits. Yeah, it was like me with Vic and Bob. My parents were like, "What? what is this? What the hell are they doing? You know, but it, for, for me, it was this just, you know, this light bulb moment of, <laughs> you know. I suppose every generation needs that, don't they? Yeah. So, I mean, was comedy... So, so when you left school, was comedy something you kind of... You'd thought about getting into? Or did you have... Did you kind of go into a normal, normally invert commas, job? Um, when I left school, so um, I went straight to university. Um, I went to Goldsmiths College in um, New Cross in London. Mm. Um, I... Uh, and the thing is, if you'd have asked me when I was a child what I wanted to be, I used to ask, cautious, uh, I used to say, I'm going to be an author. <laughs> uh, I wanted to be a writer and a novelist, uh, really. Um, but just for, you know, so I, I come from a quite a working class background, but my mum was um, uh, really into books. Yeah. We had loads of books around the house. And that's what I wanted to do. Uh, comedy wasn't even in my... Um, Psyche, really. Um, I, I was always in bands from when I was about 15 years old yeah. in, in and around um, Liverpool, where I lived. And um, what used to happen was, it's the germ of it, really. I, it, when the equipment used to break down, which it used to because it was very cheap, um, I would cover it by doing some, you know, little jokes and stuff like that. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, 
this is quite good. I'm enjoying this. But um, when I got to college, um, I was carried on with the bands and I didn't think about the comedy anymore, really. Then I wanted to be an actor. I really wanted to be. But in those days, uh, you had to have um, uh, what was known as, um, it was an equity card. Right, right. You had to, you, you couldn't work without it. And um, for that, you needed 12 paid gigs. Uh, then the witness, uh, the contract had to be witnessed by um, the promoter and signed by them. So what I did was I formed um, a comedy sort of act with a friend of mine who I'd met at um, college called John Ivans. And um, the first few gigs were just intended to get the... Um, you know, the, the thing together for me, um, equity card. Yeah, yeah. Gig three, I thought, <laughs> yeah, well, fuck this. So I, I want to be a comic. <laughs> um, I, I did become an actor, but um, sort of in the middle of uh, doing that. But um, what I hated about being an actor was being told what to do. Yeah. And it, I couldn't stand, you know, like that bit the, at the end, you go, right, now time for the director's notes. And I'd just be thinking, oh, <laughs> I want to do what I want to do. And that's that's basically what happened. I didn't really, it wasn't a burning ambition of mine when I was a child. Yeah. But um, it, the bug just bit me. Yeah, I suppose it's good to have a, a couple of strings to your bow anyway, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? If you could kind of be doing doing a bit of both. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I carried on doing the band to a certain extent. I mean, I, I'm still in the band now, but there was a big gap, obviously, when um, the comedy career was in full flow. And I didn't really have time to do both. Yeah. What was your first gig like? Your first proper proper stand-up gig? And was it, you know, right. I, was, I was assuming you were just absolutely, you know, you shit your pants, you know? I was. I was very, very, very nervous. Uh, my first gig was on, uh, I, I know exactly when it was, because um, I'm writing my autobiography. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, it was uh, Thursday, the 27th of May, 1982. That's a long time ago, isn't it? <laughs> and it was at a place called the Tramshed in Woolwich in South East London, um, which later um, became, they did some shows there which were, which were on tally called, um, was it called South of Deptford? Which is actually not true. Not South of Deptford. But, <laughs> but um, we, we, it was called um, Utopian Cosmic Space Lines Cabaret. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were on, I think we were on first and uh, me and John. And um, when I first started, we didn't do, we, it wasn't really musical. The music was in, incidentally, it was much more sketch-based. Yeah. And uh, this was, incidentally, years and years before sketch-based comedy became fashionable. So, uh, you know, and it was all based, uh, it was our own stuff. But, um, we were called Skin Video, and uh, what we used to do, our idea was to do piss takes of um, movie classic, you know. <laughs> So, um, say that we were doing Sleepless in Seattle, and, and you know, like uh, we'd, be, we'd, we'd tend to be on a train and go in Seattle, and we go, oh, well, <laughs> you know, that was basically it. Um, but we we found out that there was another um, double act um, across the river in North London doing them called the Vicious Boys, and that was their whole act um, doing. So we had to drop it. But uh, going back to the first gig, yeah, um, and we were on a bill with, and comparing was a woman called Vivian Soane who um, was a sort of performance artist, and she was dressed from head to foot in full Archbishop's regalia. <laughs> and uh, but she also was playing a tennis saxophone, 
and she had roller skates. Oh my god! <laughs> so there was a bit where she was um, introducing all the and the stage at the Woolwich tram shed was quite uh, was sort of like on a slope, like slopes. So she kept <laughs> skating past the microphone, so all her introductions were like, "Hey, hey!" <laughs> and then she'd be grabbing onto the microphone. Uh, we were on uh, first. I, I can't really remember anything um, about the first gig. Yeah, he obviously blocked it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it didn't. It, it went well. It went well. I mean, um, I, I, I don't remember. I do remember this guy on after us called Oscar McLennan, who was a Scottish guy, who had these really mesmerising eyes. Yeah. And yeah. Um, he uh, halfway through his act, he stripped off, took all his clothes off, and did the last like ten minutes naked, but never <laughs> referred to it. <laughs> I mean, that stuck in my head. Um, I'm not surprised. So that was it, really. Yeah. Um, that was our first gig at Woolwich Tramshed. It's, um, I do remember that they, um, this is really weird memory, isn't it? That um, they played Promise You a Miracle by Simple Minds before we came on. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a weird memory to happen? And I thought, we're going to need a miracle. Um, yeah. You're talking about your autobiography, I mean, have you always kept diaries? I'm always kind of fascinated by these people putting out autobiographies and you're kind of like everyone, not everybody could obviously must have kept a diary of their life. So how do you remember or did you keep Um, notes? Well, I did keep, I I kept a professional diary. Yeah. I mean, I I kept a personal diary sporadically, but more than that, I have got a record of every single gig I've ever done. (laughs) Um, And up until a few years ago, I mean, um, I used to do the gig where it was, uh, you know, um, how much got paid, uh, and then I'd do a review of the gig. <laughs> <laughs> I've got that for over 3,000 gigs or something like that, and after that, I just got fed up. I've actually kept it up, actually, to be honest. So, of, of those early days, I've got really clear memories because they're all in a diary, and underneath, I've got the um, size of the audience, wow. uh, some of my who, who, who out of my friends were there, um, how it went. Um, you know, little notes that reference. So I can just look back and think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's a shame because, I, you know, I can't remember. I wish I could remember how the time shed went. Yeah, well, maybe, you've, maybe you've blocked it out for a reason. <laughs> oh, no, I can remember the really bad ones. I, mean, I remember the one we did at Comedy. We did the Comedy Store in the early days when it was in um, Neard Street in Soho where you yeah. had to go up the second floor on the lift and it would all be full of strippers. <laughs> Uh, punters and playing clothes policemen. And, uh, uh, um, the first one we did, it went really well. And I thought, oh, this is great. But we, it was all gong show in those days. The second one, we were a bit cocky, I think. And um, it went really bad. And um, this guy, this guy's really pissed like a real sort of um, city worker. This I can remember because he had a pinstripe suit on. Really pissed. He's going, look at your shoes. Where the fuck did you get those shoes? You fucking shoes are shit, mate. (laughs) And I completely lost it. And uh, thank God my partner was there, uh, my double act partner, because he stopped me. I swung the guitar and I would have flattered him one. I probably would have um, caused serious injury. Uh, But we got gone off. See, that's stuck in my mind. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with hecklers. I mean, you know, it must be so, so hard, unless you're, you've are you got this kind of lightning sort of that you can come back on them with something. But it must be so hard yeah. if you don't know what you're going to be faced with. Yeah, I mean, I the thing is, I, aggressive heckling is, um, you know, uh, you get used to that to a certain extent. Um, 
but I, I actually like a really sort of like creative. Yeah. I like yeah. creative hecklers. And then that, that's the beauty of live performance. You know, I was once at a gig in um, in the West Country somewhere, and uh, this guy at the front, you know, piss off and scouts back. And <laughs> I said, What's the matter with you? He said, uh, uh, You know, he said, uh, Scousers nick everything. Uh, they, they, take, they take your fridge, they take your, <laughs> get everything. It's everything, your washing machine. I said, oh. And I, I actually lost my temper and said, hey, I said, I'm sick and tired of this. This is really bad. Um, you know, it's a tired old stereotype. <laughs> you know what you think then? I, they'll have that off you at all if you're not careful. <laughs> and it was such a brilliant comeback. Yeah. Um, and the whole audience laughed. And I actually had to stop the show and thought, yeah, you know what? <laughs> That's going in. <laughs> biography um you know i like it when they i like i like it when they put a bit of thought into it you know yeah i mean a lot a lot of your actors the comedy songs uh satirical songs so um when did you start doing that or is it something that you've always done uh did you know how to play a guitar from when you were a young age how did that all come about yeah um well first of all um i was taught to play the guitar actually i was about 13 or 14 when i to play the guitar. And I was taught by my younger brother, who was only about nine, and I couldn't play the guitar. Um, yeah, and then I was that, that was made for bands. Um, but I've always loved comedy songs. I mean, I was a big fan of um, people like Jasper Parrott and Mike Harding and The Goons and um, things like Right to Fred, you know, uh, Right to Fred. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Cribbins. Um, the Cribbins and uh, Hole, in the, Hole in the Ground. That's a great song. Um, so I always had that in the back of my mind. I mean, the comedy song thing as well came about uh, as we started and got going and the sketches got, you know, quietly dropped. Yeah. Um, uh, mainly because they weren't very good. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then there was a bit of banter between us as a double act, but then we began to kind of concentrate. On. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, it's like a lot of stuff. I didn't consciously set out to do that. It wasn't a master plan. Yeah. In my, it came about by accident, really. Um, and then the idea of um, shortening them and doing parodies and stuff like that, um, that came about because I think, you know, a lot of um, comedy songs can be too long and outstay their welcome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and my thing is, if you found the punchline or what you're looking for within the first 30 seconds, why go on? Why you drag know, it out? Like, yeah. Like a punchline, it's like a, uh, you know, any joke. Um, I know there's a. The, always going about the law of three or the rule of three but they, it does it does pertain you know there, there's a rhythm to it there's yeah. a way of doing it and with songs it's the same thing you know i I'm, i do do longer songs that are my own songs especially during the lockdown i was doing my own stuff um which i always did because i've i've actually released um i think it's seven albums of my own stuff so they've got no parodies on still available <laughs> Could be like the, the first Valdunica. The first one, yeah, is, is uh, out of um, out of print, as it were. I've got one copy left. Oh my god! Yeah, I don't know where, we know where to go when we want. We've got some albums, Steve. Ah, well, uh, well, you can go on Bandcamp and look me up, Steve Gribbin. But... Oh, Bandcamp at the moment is great, isn't it? If you want to support yeah. an artist, you know, and anyone really can go on there, and they're getting the money instead of you know losing bits of it and they do these days where you can you you get the full whack of your the full chunk yeah. of change of your album you know yeah 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 
Yeah, so the 90s, when you sort of started, was it was an amazing, amazing time for comedy. Um, what was the circuit like when you when you began? Right, OK. I mean, that's interesting you should say that. Uh, yeah, the 90s was when I started as a solo artist, but, I mean, I was in that double act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 12 years, so that was the 80s. I mean, I, if you want to... Uh, when I first started, there was loads and loads of different types of act. Um and before it, it kind of got homogenized into a straight, um, straight, straight white male stand-ups. Um, they became the norm. Yeah. And but before that, there was there were poets, there were um, you know um, speciality acts, you know, like jugglers, all those sort of things. And um, even jugglers in the early days, they used to have loads of um, jugglers and um, sort of like non-conventional acts. There were. Um, people, you know, <laughs> there was the Ice Man. Uh, his act consisted of a block of ice, and he used to sit on <laughs> and waited for it to melt. Uh, there was a guy called Chris Luby who did impersonations of uh, aeroplanes, uh, military planes. <laughs> and honestly, he used to go, and now the DC five hundred. He actually got a really funny hacker once when uh, a guy came up to him and he said. Uh, who was in the RAF and said, excuse me, I, I don't think that is a DC-500, I think it's more like a DC-400. <laughs> they had a big argument. <laughs> I still love that. Um, the 90s, again, was, uh, I suppose it was when it's become, to become quite successful and there was a, a real um, way of making a living out of it. Not just, lots of big comedy clubs um, came along. Um, the early days for me were a bit like the Wild West. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because uh, the audiences, um, the, the audiences were a bit more feisty than they are now. I mean, they can be horrible, <laughs> but uh, they were just, yeah. There was there was a bit of, a bit of antagonism in there, you know, especially the comedy store in the early days. They, they were willing you to do to do badly. <laughs> you know, I once got heckling that lift, and uh, someone said, "Are you one of the acts uh, uh, tonight?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I am," with a big smile on my face. And he just said to me, "I bet you're going to be shit." <laughs> oh no. I know. Um, but yeah, there was loads of great acts in the nineties as well. I mean, um, a lot of pe- people that I, you know, became really good friends with, like Mark Steele and Jeremy Hardy and Mark Hurst. And he's a great um, person that a lot, a lot of people don't really know him anymore. And he was, he became famous on the tube as Mark My Words. Um, he was a poet, but he was a very good stand-up comedian as well. He's got one yeah. of those faces, though, hasn't he? That you'd remember. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh God, yeah. Um, he's, he's very funny. He's very funny on um, Facebook and uh, Twitter, isn't he? He's, yeah, he's loads of really nice stuff now. So yeah, even like Saturday, Saturday Live was huge, and it, it kind of it gave a lot of seemed to give a lot of comedians their break, you know. And obviously yeah. there was like the Ben Eltons were around, and you know, Lexi Sale and all this kind of stuff in the nineties. So yeah, I mean, Lexi Sale was my hero, really. Oh, he's a legend. Him, I wouldn't have started really. Um, it, it's in, interesting. I'd started before I'd actually seen him, but um, we supported him at the opening Empire in Deptford in uh, 1983, and it's still in my top ten sort of comedy performances I've ever seen. He was just absolutely um, brilliant. You know, I'd never seen anybody be that angry on stage. <laughs> Also, you know, funny with it. He wasn't, yeah. you know, it was, it was anger, but it was, it was channeled 
in, in the right way. You know, that it was just explosive. He, this guy was going, you're fucking shit, get off, get off. <laughs> so he went, what beat? And then, of course, that's normally the prelude. When a comic says that, normally it's, they've lost it, haven't they? You have to repeat what the person said. But the person repeated it. While he was repeating his echo, Alexi Sale had jumped off the stage and climbed the outside of the balcony onto the first floor <laughs> while the guy was speaking and then gone right up to him, <laughs> got him back on the bells and went, I beg your pardon, <laughs> right into his face. And it was just, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like it. The yeah. audience was crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I saw it. I heard him on a. It was on a Richard Herring's podcast uh, recently, yeah. and he's just he's such a he's so chilled out now. He's he's discovered all this you know, like yoga and all this kind of stuff. So you know, it's a bit of a surprise from this this angry oh, young has man. He? Yeah, <laughs> this angry young man that he used to be, and he's now you know oh. doing all this Chinese. Yeah, you know, he's, he, he's, his his writing is great. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of all his um, short stories and his novels and things. I've got all of those as well. It's a quite funny story. I actually got to meet him personally when I did Blue 10s on Radio 4 in, um, I think it was the late 90s. Mm. He was on. And we got checked in and we got on very well. And um, <laughs> I didn't say, I love you. But um, <laughs> I, I felt like saying it. But there's a really weird bit. So that was like uh, June or July. And he said, uh, you know, we'll probably bump into each other. And I said, oh, well, I hope so. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't swap numbers. I wanted to. But um, he was doing the book festival in the end festival. <laughs> <laughs> About four weeks later, you know, in August. And I was there in the front row and I think it freaked him out a bit. <laughs> he, was, he sat there and I went, hello. I must have looked like a stalker. Anyway, I never saw him again. So uh, <laughs> he probably put locks on his door. It's something to talk about though, isn't it? When you, when you see him again. When I see him again, uh, hello, Alex, do you remember me? <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. I mean, talking about, like, comedy styles, and you've got you, you've got a very sort of distinct, well, I don't know, distinct comedy style. I mean, how do you, how does a comedian acquire their style? Does that make sense? You know, obviously, you get different yeah. comedians. You'd see, like, Jimmy Carr would be known for one type of comedy and somebody else would be known for. How did you sort of get into yeah. the style that you have? Now, that's an interesting question, Andy Paul, really interesting, because I don't know whether um, you, you you stumble on it or... Um, because the thing about the audience is that they make up their minds about you yeah. almost in the first 30 seconds, don't they? And sometimes there's nothing you can do about that. They might just look at you and go... I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that because it's almost symbiotic isn't it it's like a, a psychic connection to the yeah. audience to go out oh, not having this and then <laughs> other times to go oh look it's somebody funny how that happens i don't know um but going back to your own start i mean you know, people like um you know i i saw um jack d yeah when he first he wasn't deadpan he was a bit more chatty um he smiled a bit and it just didn't it wasn't as good yeah um, <laughs> Saw um, Milton Jones before he added. I mean, he was always good because he, he wrote really well. But he, with that added ingredient of the hair and the stupid jumper and the sort of like distracted, he used to be a lot more low key. Yeah. And I suppose the answer is to your question. It's by trial and error. Yeah. You, know, you see what works, and also what what you feel com- comfortable doing because it's no use forcing yourself into 
something that you're not that doesn't suit your yeah. personality because I, a it would make you feel uncomfortable and b i think the audience could tell yeah i've got i'm going back to this thing. It's like they could sniff out they sniff out fear <laughs> and they could sniff out uncomfortable i don't know um so i would say it's that you start off doing something that you feel comfortable in and then if it works then you carry on doing that you know um, yeah i would feel very weird now going on being quite low-key yeah, um, no, it's always kind of fascinated me. You know, as you say, like Jack D, and he's very deadpan style. And there's a lot of comedians who you know exactly what you're going to get. You know, people like John Hegley, even. You know, when you when you well, saw him, he's back another of my comedy heroes. I mean, I, oh, I he's amazing. Um, and and you know, it's, um, in my uh, I, I do a weekly um, Facebook Live thing, and um, I, I I did a whole thing about him last week. He's in the autobiography because he was so. So good. And I he was somebody as well that yeah, he was a poet first and foremost, but he you know, he's brilliantly funny. But he decided on that style and it suits him a quietness of um he's he's silly. He's not afraid to be silly, yeah, but he's also got that sort of that seriousness running through it as well, which is it's beautiful. I, I love watching him. Um yeah, and um your style is I don't know, yeah. I hope I've answered the question. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's something that's always kind of, you know, I've always kind of wondered about it. Um, and you kind of, you know, you know what you like as a as a punter, you know? If, if you go and see a comedian, you say, oh, I really like him. And you kind of, I don't know, it's a yeah. it's a bit of a weird, bit of a weird it's thing. It's not funny, though, because somebody said to me, uh, uh, I was being interviewed for something else by a guy called Jack Bledos, you know, Jack? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very funny guy, and we get on really well. Because oh god, you're always so angry about everything. <laughs> well, I said yeah, but it's just—it's not a mask, or it's—I'm obviously not that angry all the time in real life because I drop dead of a heart attack. It's a—it's a thing that I I do when I'm on stage, and it's exaggerated. You know, it's like it's like a cartoon version of me, and, and I'm not. I, yeah, there are things that make me really angry, but I think it's better. My whole thing is that um, it's better to make people laugh by doing by doing it through comedy than to just rant. You know, I am a fan of the comedy rant. Yeah, like Mark. Um, <laughs> I saw him quite recently. Well, I say quite recently. It all seems so long ago, doesn't it? I know. <laughs> last year, well, not last year, twenty nineteen. Yeah. <sighs> but he just went on to this absolutely fantastic rant about Brexit. <laughs> it was so funny. I mean, me and my son were watching it, and it was. Um, but I, I still get a I still watch comedy in a way, and if I if I'm loving it and enjoying it, I just forget that I'm a comedian. I just look at it like a, anybody else, you know. I get such pleasure from it still, you know, to see somebody absolutely riding high and doing. I mean, me and um, Laura Lex were in the audience for um, Kerry Pritchard McLean uh, again. I think 2018 it was, and she did a routine about. Um, trying to get your tights on like and it, but also um, you know like you take the hair you know you, you remove all your hair hair removal type <laughs> thing and get the tights on how scratchy you i'm not doing it justice but it was just like 10 minute properly done routine and we cried with laughter it was so funny that's the thing when the back of your head aches you know you get that weird ache when you're, you're oh, laughing yeah. so much yeah. i mean and your sides do hurt as well you know yeah, I mean, making connections seems to be a huge, a key part of uh, being a comedian. How have you found? I suppose when you're you're uh, you're on a bill with other people, you make these connections. 
and it's kind of like um i was saying to another comedian um about how everyone in comedy seems to be connected you can do this kind of uh six degrees of separation <laughs> between pretty Very much true, between yeah. pretty much everybody you know um i mean a good, good friend of mine kevin gildee he said hi to you <laughs> oh kevin. kevin he's another one that i love i absolutely love him yeah we'll no. say, say hi back. i will i told him you were coming on the podcast and he's like oh my god i love steve tell him i said hi so oh, that's uh, nice. yeah oh he's great so i mean again it's you know making all these connections and people you wouldn't necessarily think would be connected are connected yeah <laughs> you know, it's, you, know that's interesting you're talking about personal or professional connections a bit of bit of both you know even like edinburgh i mean edinburgh must be a a melting pot of you know you're literally there with the comedy uh you know great and great and good and uh yeah it's interesting edinburgh can be uh, very tiring from that point of view yeah you you know you've got the uh, phenomenon known as edinburgh neck haven't you (laughs) where <laughs> you're talking to somebody and then they suddenly look past you. <laughs> somebody else has come into the room that they would rather talk to. Um, no, it's, um, yes, you you know, you have to uh, strike up a working relationship. I mean, by and large, we're quite lucky that the comedy circuit seems to be populated by people who are, you know, they're good people and everybody's supportive. I mean, there's one or two exceptions. Yeah. And I've got I've got my little black book. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> oh, I might, I might call on you for a few, uh, few connections. Uh, there, well, uh, there's some people. That have, <laughs> I think one of the sad things about lockdown is that, that um, lots of comics have fallen out. With yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. It's it's been quite surprising. You think, oh right, so that's what you really like. <laughs> um, you know, because everyone's got to get get on with each other. Like, yeah, you can't. You know, if you're in a dressing room with somebody and you've had a massive row six weeks before, <laughs> and it's really awkward, isn't it? You know, um, <laughs> I have to stress, by the way, that, that that's a very uncommon occurrence. Um, <laughs> we believe you, Steve. Also, we believe you. Yeah, yeah. We... <laughs> okay, here's my little rap book. Number one. Yeah. Um, this long car journey, sort of long train journeys where you get to know each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got some really good friends on the comedy circuit. Uh, personal people like Mick Ferry and um, you know Gavin Webster, we we get on really well and we keep it. Uh, it's 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 partly there's a weird thing as well. I don't really had other comments say this, but you'll you'll gig with somebody uh, like maybe six times in a row. And yeah, you won't see four years. <laughs> it's really weird. And then there's there's other people. This is really we are a superstitious bunch of people because people go, oh God, you know, no offense, but. You know, you're my unlucky person. <laughs> the bill with you, I'm gonna have a bad night. And of course, oh, they do. Oh my god! Because it's in their head. That's... Yeah, we've all got that. Yeah, we've all got. That. And I had you think, oh no, I'm not on with so and so. The last time I was on with them, I was chased from the venue <laughs> by a scythe wielding mob. Oh my god! Think, kill him, kill him. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, you know. You can't help but forge friendships on 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 circuit, really. Yeah, no, I was talking to uh, Roland Riveron in a, a a past podcast, and he was saying about. I said, "Oh, you know, do you still keep in contact with like French and Saunders and you know Jules Holland and all these guys that you work with?" And he's like, "No, <laughs> I might see one of them every sort of you know once every five years or something, but we're not, you know, we don't keep no. in contact, contact, which yeah. you kind of think is a little bit when you're in that kind of close working relationship." 
you can't, you know, you, I suppose you get into your head that there's this, you know, there, there's this little group of friends. They meet up every week for a pint. And well, it's funny, isn't it? Because you turn up sometimes at gigs. Um, you know, say you'd be like, uh, you'd be traveling a long way to be there. So somewhere like Lincoln or something like that, yeah. you, there's four of you in the car. And, the, and the people will go, oh, where's your next show? You know, are you all together doing your next show? They think you're like a group of traveling, <laughs> traveling players like in Shakespeare. <laughs> yes, tomorrow we're off to King's Lynn. Um, it's not like that at all. You just come together, you know, you're like iron filings. You combine for one gig, then you, you're apart again, you know. Yeah, it's you know it's it's very strange. As I said, as a as a punter, you kind of ex, you kind of have all these ideas in your head of, of all these people around each other's houses, and you know they're all having a good laugh and all sorts of. But obviously, obviously, yeah, and I think that's why that's why um, I want to go back to that thing. Of, I don't want to give the impression by the way everyone's after each other's throats because they're not. I think that's why when somebody is a bit of a dickhead, really sticks out, and that's why people. <laughs> Why people talk about them because they're a bit, you know, there's certain things you don't do. Yeah. Certain rules, you know, you don't slag off other performers while you're on stage. Oh yeah. Or if you're the compere, you don't um, uh, backslag off as as in they just walked off and you just go, that wasn't very good, you know. So you don't do that. Yeah. I mean, talk about other comedians. Who would have been your comedy heroes growing up? I mean, who would you have kind of loved? Like. Right. The thing is, I, I talk about this quite interestingly, uh, interestingly enough in the in my autobiography, um, which is called "Jimmy Tarbuck Ate My Sandwiches," because <laughs> he did. Uh, he ate my sandwiches uh, at the Liverpool Empire. Um, but uh, I there's a mixture. It's like it's like that thing of um, you, you know, you think that um, because I came up in that sort of um, the alternative comedy, that all my heroes would be. Of, of that era, but you forget that there's a sort of hinterland before people started. It's like punk. If you see pictures of the Hunter Club or um, the Roxy in sort of like 1977, oh yeah, those people are wearing flares and really <laughs> shit C and A jumpers. They're not all punks. So you have that. So my comedy here, I mean, Tommy Cooper would be one. Oh yeah. Um, just for the supreme silliness of the man and how. Uh, well, you know, he was just brilliant. And then uh, Les Dawson. Yes. Uh, he was fantastic. Interestingly enough, I was going to do a one-man show about Les Dawson in Edinburgh one year until I read that somebody else was doing oh it. God. You know, steam began to come out of my ears because I'd started to write it. But, you know, I never did. Um, so Tommy Cooper, Les Dawson, um, Victoria Wood yeah. uh, would have come later, but I mean, I just, I absolutely adore her. And then people on the comedy circuit, I suppose Lexi Sale, it was the person that really started it for me, but people like Keith Allen, mm-hmm. um, as a performer, he was just amazing. Um, I've never seen anybody quite like him. He used to, uh, he, he was another person. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? That um, one of the differences between, um, early alternative comedy and uh, sort of like the scene. those comics didn't really care whether you liked them or not yeah they just went listen I'm going to do what I fucking want to do and <laughs> I don't care if you don't like it it's an amazing attitude to have you know but um, I, I have to say I, I don't have that attitude I want to be loved <laughs> um, but people like um, Hegley used to love him yeah. um, Mark Thomas Mark Steele mm-hmm. Jeremy Hardy all sort of political 
ones. But then other, also the people I used to love, I mean, I still love her, Dawn French is one of my favourites. Yeah. She's another person. And I'm sorry, just that even she just sat there and start, start to, I start to giggle. She's got a funny face. She's got a funny, got a funny bones. Yeah, she? yeah, um, yeah. Oh, anything she's you know, in is is you know absolute gold. Yeah, I mean she's um, she lent anything she lends herself to is, um, yeah, she's very very funny. But those are kind of people uh, again, people like the Goons, but not that was more my parents' generation. But I I grew to love them as well. Um, and then people like Python. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and also you know. Um, Again, by the way, that was a spin-off from them. Was Rutland Weekend Television? Yes, wasn't yes, it? Uh, yes. And then the Ruttles, of course. Um, I, I still—that's one of my favourite things ever. Uh, which again was, um, oh God, wasn't it? I'm, I'm now I've gone. I have drawn a blank. The, the musical guy behind that guy. Oh, Neil Innes. Yeah, uh, he's one. Of, <laughs> see, that sounds bad now. Because he's one of my <laughs> heroes. What was his name? Um, Neil Innes. Uh, yeah, that always I'm happens when you. When you put on they the were, spot. They re, uh, I met him once when they reformed the Bonzo dog. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was lovely. Absolutely lovely. Again, I I wanted to go, I really love you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should. You know, this is an interesting story. Once I was on a train and I saw um, Kevin Rowland from Dexter's Midnight Run. <laughs> and I absolutely loved Dexter's Yeah, Midnight yeah. I fantastic. I saw them live a few times. And I thought, now, Jojo Smith is a good friend of mine, and uh, she used to be their tour manager. <laughs> Incidentally, by the way, she's so she's so full of interest that you should interview her. And um, she said to me, um, I phoned her up and said, look, Kevin Rowland's on the train. Should I go up and tell him how much? He goes, yeah, I think he'd really, really appreciate that. Why don't you do it? So I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I will. So the train was from Liverpool to London, and it took me all the time to work up my courage, you know, two and a half hours. And then I got up to go where he, and he disappeared from his seat. So I got off the train, as I was getting the ticket, I bumped into this guy and went, oh, sorry, turned around, it was him. So I said to him, um, uh, Mr. Rowland, um, I, you know, I'd, I'd just like to say how much um, I appreciate your music, and I've uh, been a big fan of your mu- uh, music for very many years, and, uh, you know, I, I love your stuff, and my favourite song of yours is This Is What You Like. And um, I won't say he started crying, but tears came into his eyes. Oh, my God. He shook me by the hand and he had a real sort of, thank you very much, mate. I really appreciate that. Squeezed my hand. And then he, then he went. So I'm so glad I did. It's so did nice, it. isn't it? So nice when that happens. It's You know, they always say, never meet your heroes. But, you know, nine and a half times out of ten, they're generally lovely. Yeah, they are. Nine and a half. And that's the thing. And then you kind of, if you don't do it, you see someone, you think, oh, should I, or should I not, should I not? And then, after, you know, if you don't do it, you're going to regret it for... Uh, absolutely, yeah. For yeah. the foreseeable future. So let's let's talk a little bit more about your, your songs. Um, where do you find your inspiration? Is it literally, I know you're very sort of topical, uh, you know, stuff that's going on at the world, in the world at the moment. Um yeah, I mean, does it take does it take a long time to put songs together, or have you you've become a bit of a dab hand? Um, right, uh, yeah, I, I've I've got better at doing it, but it's interesting because yes, I do um, scour the you know uh, the papers or um, uh, online or whatever for the latest. I mean, I, for years I was in a show um, at the Comedy Store, which um, was a topical show every Tuesday. And that to me was um, so. I started doing that in uh, 
1994, I think, mm-hmm. just when I started going solo. And that forced me. And it was a great thing, actually, because you'd be sat there on a Monday afternoon thinking, oh, Christ. I don't know. <laughs> and it was a real... Yeah, and, and so there were great people doing it, you know, like uh, uh, Martin Thomas was in it at the beginning and uh, Day and Nick Revel. And oh, wow. The, Linda Smith was in the beginning as well. Uh, and, you know, it just forced you to up your game. You, said, you, you felt like you didn't want to turn up and just go, oh, sorry, I, I couldn't think of anything. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I got very good at um, seeing something, and then um, yeah, I, I, with the with the shorter songs, the parodies, um, people think that that can be easy, but it one in one sense it is because it's somebody else's tune. Yeah, yeah. You have to find the right thing for it. You know, there's no good um, getting the wrong. It, it's got to fit. It's got to click. Yeah. The actual, yeah, it's got to click, and it's also got. The original tune's got to be relevant to it as well. Mm. Um, God, I, I wish I'd prepared now. I could find some examples. Um, <laughs> but um, um, one of my favourite ones, and this is really, really obscure, but it was when Dave Nellist was thrown out of the Labour Party <laughs> for being uh, in militant tendency in the party. And uh, sort of probably was Nellist the militant, packed his bags. <laughs> so, worked for about a week but it worked really well because you know it fits and it's also a tale about somebody packing their bags and going <laughs> so you know uh it fits in that in that level with with the um the other songs it sometimes take me with the longer songs that are mine my sort of tunes and melody and everything that could take a week maybe um although i have been writing a lot of stuff for the the Facebook live gigs where I've, I've tried to do within two days. That, that will be all of the two days. Yeah. Just like hammering it because then I've got to make sure that, you know, it thing. A lot of people think doing songs is easy, but in one sense, it's there's a constraint on it because it has to fit the meter of the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to rhyme. And so, in a little bit, sometimes it's like being in a straight jacket. <laughs> but I quite enjoy that. I quite enjoy the limitations on that. Um, you know, and, and, and in a way, it's like not writing a one-liner anyway, because a one-liner has got to fit certain rhythm anyway. Um, and that's the other thing. I, you know, I began to write more stand-up once I was doing that. Yeah. So now my act is more, it's songs and there's lots of bits in between as well. Mm. Yeah, talking about songs, that segues on us nicely into uh, the music aspect of this podcast. Um, so, I mean, who have been your musical loves? Obviously, having that musical aspect to your to your comedy, uh, you must have a few sort of music loves that you always return to or listen to. Yeah, uh, and it's such a cliche, you know, from <laughs> Liverpool. I love the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, I just think that you know. Obviously, when I was growing up, my mum was in. My mum actually went to see the Beatles um, three or four times. She worked at the telephone exchange, oh which was just around the corner from the cavern. And in the early sixties, she used to go there and see him in her lunch hour. <laughs> I just found that fascinating, but it's great though because you know you know what you like with your parents. Like, mum, mum, what was it like? Oh yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, tell us more. Oh, and I can't really remember that. Oh, God. <laughs> You're like, how what, do you, you not know? remember seeing the Beatles? You know. Oh, come on! What did they look like? <laughs> well, you know, we had black jeans on. And, oh, come on! Um, so the Beatles is my sort of like, which really, but um, I've got loads. 
favourites. Elvis Costello, probably my greatest um, session. Um, I was work, I was on a podcast with Andrew Bird. Uh -huh. Yes, yes. And um, he's got a great um, podcast called Funny About Music. Uh -huh. and, um, funny Taste of Music. And we were talking about that. And I, I worked out that I'd seen Elvis Costello live 27 times. <laughs> so that is that's dedication. That, that is dedication. Uh, uh, I, I love it. I think he's a brilliant um, lyricist and brilliant singer. And uh, certainly with the attractions. Yeah, I've not managed to see him live yet, but I've heard, you know, oh, from people that have seen oh. him, he's just he's just incredible. You know, he steps on the stage and that's it. He's got, and also when I was growing up, I suppose that um, my dad was into Johnny Cash. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I still love Johnny. Um, I, I love country music. Um, I'm a big fan. And I have a band as well called The True Believers. And we do so. They're all my songs and they're Americana country. Band. Cool. I like cool. people like Steve Earle, uh, Lucinda Williams, uh, in loads of people. I mean, I like a lot of female country singers as well. I, I really love them. And I like a lot of traditional folk music as well. Uh, big into um, Irish music. And I suppose because of my roots, my grandmother on the dad's side was Irish. So we could go and stay in Roscommon. Uh, every, everyone's uh, got an Irish Everyone's got an Irish connection at the moment. That's get, right. Get yourself I, a I used to passport. have it in my... Uh, <laughs> In my act, I used to say that everyone from Liverpool has to have an Irish Grammy. <laughs> the law. You get given one when you're born, you know. But, I mean, I was a massive um, massive fan of punk as well. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, Sex Pistols, Clash, The Damned, uh, The Jam, all of those sorts of... Um, I love those. Uh, I still listen to them now, you know. I, I actually listen to loads of... I'm, I'm, I'm very much into listening to loads of new stuff. Um, and this is a really weird thing because you wouldn't think, but um, I was very much into uh, a lot of early hip hop. Oh, like when it was very uh, like 83, 84, yeah, yeah, like Africa Bambata and uh, Run DMC, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Run DMC's first album was still, still really good, and I liked a lot of the um stuff like Della Soul. And I saw them uh, live at Glastonbury, I think that's one of the best things I've ever seen. They were just brilliant because they used a live band. Oh, my um, god. That was great. Fantastic. So, uh, I mean, live bands. Yeah, you must have seen a few live bands over the years. What would have been? Who would have been your favourite live uh, artist to see? Uh, I think Elvis Costello. Would be Elvis. Yeah. Uh, would be um, up there. I mean, I probably my best concerts. Um, well, there's a few. Stevie Wonder um, oh, wow. live at Glastonbury. That's probably in my top ten. Um, he was 62 at the time. I think he'd be 70. He was 62, and his voice was wow, yeah. out of the world. And they did um, a version of As. And the curtains came back to reveal, um, I don't know, like 50 people <laughs> on stage, like, all dressed up in Brazilian headdresses. Oh, my God. All, all singing. And um, uh, I think um, Amy Winehouse, that's yeah. probably one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, and that was really weird because that was uh, good Amy and bad Amy. So mm. it's, all, it's all good Amy, which is at the jazz stage um, on the Saturday and bad Amy was on Sunday at the main stage <laughs> uh, when she was really drunk and fell off the stage. You know. She'd had a few days to, you know, to <laughs> get some drinking in. 
she did. Uh, I, I, I just. Uh... I saw her at a festival. Um, yeah. A, a festival here a few years ago. She just had this incredible, incredible voice. You know, and it, you're, you're kind of like you're kind of like thinking it's such a shame. You know, as with a lot of artists oh. that died too young. You know. She did. I mean, I, she, I, there's a brilliant bit. Um, what cemented it for me? I don't know um, whether you remember seeing. She was at the was it the Brit Awards, and um, she did uh, "Love Is a Losing Game." Yeah. And, uh, it was just her and a guitar playing. I've, I actually both me and the missus were just sat there. We burst into tears. It was so beautiful, surrounded by all these cynical music biz hacks sort of going anyway well i'm also you know i'm saying so many units and do you know what was brilliant about it it was so good that they all shut up and listened to wow she was so natural yeah such a natural voice um i mean as i said sort of she had this as you said her on a good day was amazing you like like you listen to her frat the frank album and you're kind of like oh "Oh, man you know and i still i still get teary uh how how are you gonna is it help yourself yeah. How can yeah. you won't help yourself? Da, 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 da. Oh, that's a great. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is a tragedy what happened to her. There's a brilliant film about her. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I think there's been like t- a couple of documentaries, hasn't there? Like one, like, like her family participated in, and you know, all those all that stuff with her dad. You know, yeah, her dad's <laughs> a, a character, isn't he? he that's was, terrible. Really was. Ends up on the island with a camera crew. Uh, <laughs> We're not going to get into it, but it's no, that's, that's another day's uh, another day another day. entirely. <laughs> um, so, what are you listening to at the moment, Steve? You've kind of gone through all your music at the moment that you that you've been listening to in the past. Is there anything that's kind of on your Spotify at the moment that you're really enjoying? Yeah, um, I, I'm heavily into. Um, I say I say they're a new band, but they're they're not, and it's really one woman called Kate Stables, and it's a, a band called This Is the Kit. Uh huh. And they're like a cross between folk music and um, African high life. Uh, it's, it sounds really weird. Uh, and there's a bit of electronic in there as well. Um, one, I think she's got a brilliant voice, uh, but her lyrics are really good as well. Uh, and there's a song called This Is What You Get. Uh, this Is What You Did, sorry, uh, which I just is on constant rotation. I love them. I think they're really good. Uh, Phoebe Bridges, mm-hmm. uh, really like her. I, I listen to a lot of female stuff actually. Soccer Mom, I like oh, yeah, her. Yeah. They're all uh, they're all linked, and, and that's how you how you know. By the way, you have got Spotify, and they go, if you like that, yeah. you'll, like <laughs> you'll like this as well. And then and you find yourself going down this little path, don't you? And then, uh, next thing you know, it's seven hours later. And yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Oh no, it's a nice yeah. way of it's a great way of discovering bands that you might not have necessarily heard of before purely by but then again you you see favorite your like your favorite band and they're saying oh you know your favorite band and it's something that you absolutely hate is <laughs> this could be you like that you could like this as well you're like no i don't like that i, I know think. well how do they make that connection um, <laughs> it makes you I, wonder I'm, I'm listening to a lot of wilco because uh, oh, I love yes. them. So but i haven't i haven't listened to them for years uh, and it, it reminded me when i was talking to andy because he's a massive fan as well um, so I've been going back through the albums one by one, and it's just great. Yeah, I think uh, Jeff Tweedy uh, is fantastic. Yeah, I think Jeff's Jeff's released some solo stuff recently. I think he released and it's great some... as well. Really yeah. good. Oh, so good. I think it's even it's even actually better than the Wilco stuff. I think some of his yeah. uh, his solo stuff. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I could listen to Wilco. I mean, I was a massive fan of um, Uncle Tupelo and all those oh, sort of yeah. bands. You know, again, again, that sort of got me into back into country again. You know. 
because I wasn't really into. I, I went for a long time, you know. Uh, when I was growing up, when I was in the band in Liverpool, we used to make fun of country music. I had the bass line. <laughs> yeah, dum, yeah. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> I was a bass player, so we used to hate it. But then, you know, I turned, I turned 30, it's like, these people are speaking to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's the story of my life. Um, and it's just, I, I, I get annoyed when people are snobby about um, country music. I, I think it's um, a lot of soul to it. And people don't realise that. They just see the, the big white hats of the yeah. black girls. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was kind of like in the late 90s, like the Americana scene. Yeah. You know, it, it totally erupted, you know, bands like Lamb Chop, um, for me, like Handsome Family. I don't know if you've heard of either of those. Um, wow. But I was yeah, into... Yeah, Handsome Family especially, I love. Oh, my God. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, good little, little mates of mine, Brett and Rennie. They're, you yeah, know them? Yeah, they're, they're due to come over here. They're, they were supposed to tour last... When was it? May of last year, and the, the tour got cancelled. Oh. And uh, so I think they've rescheduled for March. Um, wow. I don't know where they're... I'd say they must be playing London. But they're, they're so lovely. As I said, I've been... Say, I've been seeing them since they first so their their first kind of um london gig i was there and i kind of gotten to know them over the years and the band and you know it's it's kind of i don't know it's the way i work with bands i love i tend to get get to know them a bit you know it's like lamb chop i'm quite good friends with kurt, kurt wagner as well <laughs> you know it's, Jesus. yeah, wow. yeah. I'm, I'm so jealous yeah oh no they're lovely oh, yeah. rennie's very rennie's very quiet you know but brett is quite as as, as i was remembering back in the days i don't know if you saw the handsome family back in the early days when no. they used to have brett used to have a, a mini disc for the drums <laughs> <laughs> so he'd, he'd be starting this mini disc up and it sometimes it wouldn't work or they'd be on stage starting a song and this mini disc wouldn't wouldn't uh do what it was supposed to do and it was just it totally added to the whole thing and we so we joke about it now the whole mini disc but they've got a drummer now thankfully so. <laughs> i mean i was a big fan of the, the gay hawks you remember yes them? yes yeah i went to see them uh, well i've seen them a few times uh but i i saw them once in um the Shepherd's Bush Empire in London, and uh, Stuart Lee was there. He loves Americana music, and uh, we we shared a hug and a kiss. Aww. We were both emotional. Emotional, <laughs> it was so good. Um, and it was just after um, I think one of uh, the one left, didn't he? Uh, and then uh, was involved with Victoria, um, the woman who sadly died. It's just she just died actually. So the whole the whole audience was very emotional. I did my research, didn't I? But I can't remember <laughs> everything. Uh, I'm probably going to remember it when this is over. Yeah, no, I mean, like the late '90s were incredible for like Americana. I was into you know the, uh, Loose, the Loose record label. Um, so all of these bands, like Willard Grant Conspiracy, as well, as well. Yeah. And there would have been all these Americana bands who I got into in the late '90s, and they'd come to London, and you'd got you know. And it was like you'd you'd meet people at the gig and you'd be at the same gigs together and you know. Wow. It's weird. weird yeah, I'll tell you who used to give give me lots of tips. And this I'm not just uh, name dropping, but um, every time I used to see Rich Hall, he he knew that I loved country music. They go, "Have you heard of Tom?" I go, uh, <laughs> "No." Come out, And he put me onto a guy called Robbie Fuchs, who um, is. I, I think uh, very, very uh, under-recognised. Nobody knows who he is over here. He's quite well-known in America, but um, he is just the real deal, you know, uh, and he's been doing it for donkeys. 
it, it has some fantastic albums. Uh, it's when I say Fuchs, it's F U L K S. And um, but he won't he won't tour. Um, he won't go abroad really. He's, he hasn't toured the UK for eight, so I've never seen him. So, uh, yeah, okay. yeah. I don't know a lot about a lot of American bands. It seems to be where they make their money. You know, getting tours in the UK because obviously America's yeah. so huge. It's, yeah, uh, they come over here but and seen, get a fan base. I've seen Steve. Uh, I've seen Steve Earle. Um, he's my um, probably my hero and the country sort of. In him about fifteen times, um, and he was just. Uh, yeah, I did notice by the way what seems to be happening with the American bands is that um, that. A lot of them are coming over with stripped-down versions of the band they used to have. You know, uh, it's not the full band. It's like a trio. Yeah, or, um, yeah. Yeah, which I think, it, I, I think that's money. I think that's purely money they're trying to save. You know, I saw Lucinda Williams at the Royal Festival Hall. And she was just out as well, but with her, a guitar player and a bass player. Yeah, yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. Uh, and um, I thought it was a bit sad. Yeah, I don't know. It was the same with Lamb Chop. Back in the day, Lamb Chop was like, there was 14 of them on the yeah. <laughs> you know, 14 of them on the stage. And you're like, oh my God, how are they, you know, how are they able to afford this, uh, you know, <laughs> traveling and stuff? It's mental. Well, obviously, yeah, they've had to put down. It's a shame. It is a real shame. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's How are you sort of coping in lockdown? I mean, I suppose with all this stuff going on it's affecting different comedians in different ways you know i was talking to uh ben norris a while back and oh, he's you know yeah. he's he, oh he's a lovely guy um we were talking about how lockdown has affected you know your work as a comedian you're kind of thinking oh god it's like being a musician you know yeah you've, you've lost your lost your audiences but then as you say you do you can do these facebook live little, yeah. little gigs and stuff and, yeah, uh, but you can't earn any money else. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you have yeah. you even tried like Patreon and all that kind of stuff? No, uh, I mean I, I've been told to try it, but um, I've done a few Zoom gigs for money, but not enough. I mean, Zoom gigs are um, I don't like them anyway uh, because I find the uh, uh, if the audience is not muted, yes, and you yes, can't yes. hear them. But if they are, if they're, you know, you can get that interaction. Well, that, yeah, they're eating crisps <laughs> their chairs, or a cat in the background going. Meow. Um, I don't like. I don't like. Uh, it's affected me. I have up and down. Uh, I think this one's been really hard. This third one. Yeah. Uh, because uh, there was a sort of glimmer of hope in September, October, and then you know, I, I don't think live gigs, uh, live comedy gigs, going to come back till the autumn. I don't know. I was talking to someone in before. It might have been Ben actually talking about you know going to going to a comedy gig and you you walk the comedian you walk out onto the stage and there's just this sea of people in masks. You know, it would kind of take again. It would take away from you're not seeing that even the facial reaction from your audience. You know, you'd That's like interesting. You'd yeah, like to I get the laugh, that... the laugh aspect, but obviously you want to be seeing people's faces to see them reacting to what you're saying. Yeah, and then also you know. The magic could muffle the hair. <laughs> They're just behind the mask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think that they will bring, uh, even with masks, they won't bring it back. It's very hard to socially distance in a comedy club. Yeah. Most of them are built for it. Um, and I don't know, I think September, October, which, you know, it's a long way away. Lots of comics are finding other jobs. 
it, it's a, around about this point I wish I'd learned to drive. <laughs> uh, I, I can't drive. I've never been able to drive. And um, lots of people are doing delivery jobs and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. it must be so disheartening. I mean, I can't imagine seeing like Harry Hill <laughs> in KFC. <Yeah. laughs> he, can be, he can go to be a doctor. Uh, qualified GPs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a load of load of people that used to be doctors. No, but I mean, can you imagine? You you go into your surgery and there's Harry Hill <laughs> sitting behind the desk, and he's like, "Oh, you know." <laughs> could be Paul Sinner. Paul oh, oh, God, wouldn't that be mental? Yeah, him as well. I'd say he he could go back and you know do his doctoring and stuff. He's got a game show or something going on at the moment, hasn't he? He has. Uh, Zoe Lyons has got a new game show starting tonight, hasn't she? Oh, my God. They're literally... It's like Bradley Walsh. You know, Bradley Walsh and his conquering UK TV. He's he's literally... He's everywhere, isn't he? Isn't he? Yeah. Blankety-blank over Christmas. I was watching, and uh, it's just crazy. People are having to... People are doing all these different things. So we've run out of time, unfortunately. But thank you. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Steve. It's been lovely. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed it, Paula. And, um, it's a, it's an honour to be in the company of uh, a lot of those other comics. Yeah, no, it's, it's nice to find like-minded. Do you know what I mean? Like-minded people yeah. and talk yeah. about music and stuff. <laughs>